my favorite movies of all time is Remember the Titans. It's a movie, if you have never seen it, about a coach, a football coach named Herman Boone, who moved to Virginia to become the first black head coach in in an integrated school that was mandated to be integrated for the first time back in the 1970s. And uh, Coach Boone was very tough on his players because he knew that it was almost, you know, it it was a very untenable situation that he was thrust into. And so they went to Gettysburg for summer football camp, and one day he'd been particularly tough on them. They They were working on these drills, and a couple of them were starting to puke. And the assistant coach, Coach Yost, comes over to him, and he says, there's a fine line between tough and crazy, and you're flirting with it, coach. And I bring that up because uh, last weekend, I came back. It was Saturday morning I got in after being up for 26 straight hours, got a couple hours of sleep, and got up and went all day, and then I led the Lord's Supper Saturday night, and got a few more hours of sleep, and then led the Lord's Supper last Sunday morning. And uh, if you weren't here, but particularly if you were at this service, um, I think I, I flirted with the line. In fact, I think I went over the line. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. But before that, I need to set the context of the whole uh, series because some of you are brand new. You haven't been here uh, to hear about this Armor of God series. And what it's all about is in Ephesians chapter 6, and we just saw and heard it read, Ephesians 6, 10 to 17, the Apostle Paul told a group of believers in Jesus Christ in a church uh, at a place called Ephesus that the thing that they needed to do after they knew that they were seated with Christ in the heavenlies because they had a relationship relationship with him, which would ultimately take them to heaven. And after they had walked in his ways, they needed to stand firm against the devil. And the thing that we need to understand in this uh, life is that we're in, a, we're in a war. It's a real war, but it's a spiritual war. Our, our, our battle isn't against flesh and blood, um, which means we're not against ourselves and we're not against each other, but we're against this enemy that we can't see. And this battle is eternal. It's, it's a matter of life and death, not just for here and now, but forever, because all of us are going to spend eternity either in heaven or hell. And when I come back, I'm always more aware of that battle than ever. And the reason is because here in America, there are a lot of people who don't believe the devil exists, don't believe evil exists, but they believe it. They've experienced it. Many of the believers in have come to um, belief in Jesus Christ out of witchcraft and out of a combination of sort of the the Roman Catholic Church and witchcraft called Santa Aria. And and they've seen demonic uh, forces at work. And and so when I told them that I was going to talk to them about the four demons in Ephesians 6 verse 12, which is how we opened this series three weeks ago when I talked about not these spiritual forces that are nebulous spiritual forces, but these are four forces who have names. In the the Greek New Testament, it's obvious their names are Archus, which means the first one, Exousius, which means um, authority or the right to speak, just like that. And and then there's um, Cosmocraterus which is world powers uh, of darkness. And, and then there is uh, pneumatica ponerios, which is a spirit of malice or murder. And, and so uh, as I shared with the, the folks that I was going to talk about that, their ears perked up. And after that message, it was obvious that that message had more impact on them than any of the five messages I taught while I was in and And they understand that Jesus Christ has conquered the devil, but there's still a battle going on until Jesus returns. And so Wednesday morning of the week I was in I actually had a personal battle with the second demon, Exousius. And if you're here for the first time, you're going to say, you know, what were you doing? I was teaching 
Uh, a group of us went down there to teach 251 missionaries. And uh, as we were teaching all week long, we had various topics assigned to us. And God had made it very clear to me that on Wednesday, I was supposed to teach about stewardship, even though that wasn't what I was supposed to talk about when I left from, from America to go. I had another topic on leadership. And so Wednesday morning, as we were worshiping, I got physically sick, very sick. And, uh, and, and then I started having this thought. What right do I have to speak to pastors about stewardship? As an American pastor, I make more money in a month than 250 pastors make in a month. So what right do I have? And, and, and as I was going back and forth in my mind, what right do I have? I realized something. That's exousius. He was trying to convince me that I didn't have the right to speak. And, and so I went, out, I went outside of the worship area, and I had this one-on-one conversation. Uh, he didn't speak back, but I said, Exousius, I do have the right and the authority to speak in the name of Jesus Christ. Whatever he tells me to speak here, because I have his authority. And so in the name of Jesus, I cast you out. Actually, I said it in Spanish. I had learned how to do that from the... Sal fuera, en el nombre de Jesucristo. And instantly, I was fine. My sickness went away. Instantly. And instantly, I had the confidence to speak the message that I was supposed to speak to them about stewardship, which came about 10 o'clock. And I told them about this little experience that I had had in the morning. And when I told it, they didn't respond how you all are responding with a polite, you know, respectful. They cheered and clapped. Because they understand that there was a real battle going on and that this time we had won the battle. And then I stood up in front of them and I said, you know, I don't have the right to speak about stewardship to you as an American pastor. I don't have the right to speak to you. I've only been for five weeks in my whole life. I have no idea what it's like to live on $25 a month. I can't even picture it. I mean, my parking bill for parking the car in in Toronto for the week was $90. So how in the world would I understand what it's like to, part, you know, to, to make $25 a month? And then I said this, but I do have the authority to speak about stewardship, which is how we use our lives, our time, our talents, our money, and everything that God gives us because this book speaks about it, even just the monetary part, 2,300 verses are devoted to how we're supposed to use money. And I'm not going to talk to you as an American pastor I'm going to talk to you as a representative of Jesus Christ from his word. And so we spoke about stewardship. And and when we were done, the superintendent, um, Pastor, came up to me and, and he told me that what I had said was exactly what they needed to hear. In fact, even though he used a, a Spanish word, you'll understand it immediately. He said it was perfecto. Perfecto. And you see, the the truth of Jesus spoken in the love of Jesus is always perfecto. And and that's what happened. And and that means that I have to come back to last Sunday. And I have to to talk about what happened here. If you were here, you know what happened. I was leading the Lord's Supper and I got got a little carried away. And uh, I said some things that were true, mostly. One thing I don't think was necessarily true. The rest was all true, but it was my tone. It was my attitude that was not correct. And so let's go back. If you weren't here, it'll still be worth hearing about. Because the first thing that I said was, actually it was before Lord's Supper. As I was standing greeting people, as I always do, people said, oh, I bet you're really happy to be back home. And I was like, no, not really. And everybody assumed it was about the weather, you know, because... the weather was 85 degrees and sunny every day, no humidity, and down to about 70, 65 at night. You know, it was really tough to, to deal with. But, but anyway, 
Um, that wasn't why I wasn't happy to be back. In fact, I, I, I said, you know, the week before I had preached to 800 people in a church in Cuba, and I said if it had been a driving rainstorm, there would have been 800 people in the church. And if it had been 110 degrees, there would have been 800 people in the church. Because the weather doesn't determine whether people show up for worship. And that's true. And, and you might have assumed that I was implying that are more committed to corporate worship than Americans. And that's true. But how I said it was a little bit over. I think I was flirting with that line. And then the next thing I said was, you know, the Cubans are poor in, in worldly goods, but they're rich in spirit. And that statement is true for the Christians, but most, Christ, most aren't Christians. And so they're not only poor in material things, they're poor in spirit as well. And then I made this statement. I said that Americans are mostly rich in material things and poor in spirit. And that's true. Most Americans are rich in material things and poor in spirit. But it's not true of you. Most of you here have a deep commitment to Jesus Christ. And, and you are spiritually very, very alive. And in fact, you all gave $50,000 so that we could buy churches. In so I, I was totally out of line. To say that, you know, Christians are rich in spirit and we're poor in spirit and we're rich in stuff and they're poor in stuff. That's, there's truth in that statement, but it's, it's not completely true. And I wish you could have been there whenever I had the opportunity to, to talk with seven of the 14 folks uh, that we were able to provide the resources for them to buy their church property in person. I was representing all of you. And the first one. As I gave them that news, they just broke into sobs of joy and they hugged me and we were hugging and they were just sobbing and hugging. It was awesome. And that's because you all are committed to Jesus Christ and to the work of sharing the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. So um, the next thing that I said was that there are many people who are praying for my daughters and that there are new ones that I know will be praying for them every day. And you could have assumed by that statement that I was saying that you aren't. And I know that many of you have been praying for Nancy and me and for Abby and Emmy for, since Abby and Emmy have been born, just about. And that you pray every day for us. And I do not take that for granted. So, I also said, one more thing. <laughs> I was on a roll. Um, I also said... I also said that when I come back from Cuba, ordinarily, the, the difference lasts for about three weeks, but this time I hope that it lasted until next February when I go back to Cuba. And one of you came up to me and said, does that mean you're going to be in a bad mood until next February? <laughs> Point taken. And so, I want you to know what it does mean and what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean I'm going to be in a bad mood until next February. In fact, I'm in a really good mood today. But what it does mean is every day when I was in Cuba, God spoke to me very clearly. I heard his voice every single day. And then I come back here and ordinarily it's hard to hear his voice. So I made a decision and a commitment. Decision doesn't mean anything. Decision just like I might do that, I might not. Commitment means we're going to do it. And so my commitment is uh, some of you are very observant about everything. And you know, would, may have already noticed that I don't have my cell phone in my pocket, which I always do when I preach. It's always right here. It's not here. Because that little thing. You know, it makes me connected to everybody all the time. I don't want to be connected to everybody all the time. Sometimes I just want to be connected to God. And so when I'm here on Sunday mornings, my cell phone is going to be in my car. And when I go visit people in the hospital, my cell phone is going to be in my car. And when I have dinner with my wife, 
my cell phone is going to be turned off. Because when I'm some, with somebody, I want to be with that somebody. And I don't want to go, you know, in my leg. And then I, I have to, oh, excuse me, get that. Oh, if you have this vitamin, you'll look younger. Oh, <laughs> yes, I should have taken that one. But, but the point is, that's what it mostly is, some stupid advertisement for something I don't need. Right? Now, what about if it was some, something serious? What if somebody died and I didn't have my phone? Well, here's the thing. I'm not throwing, I didn't throw my phone in the ocean when I came back. I still have my phone. And I'll turn it back on after dinner, and I'm going to look at it after church, and I'm going to look at it after I visit with people in the hospital. And if something serious happened, I will know within a half hour or an hour, and I will be able to respond. But the thing that I want to make sure of is that I'm attentive to the voice of God and the voice of the people that I'm with. And I know that when I'm because my phone doesn't work and there's no internet. So I don't have a choice. But here we have choices. And so that's really what it means. It means that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on what's important. And I hope that lasts until next February and not just for a few weeks. Okay, so now the last thing that I really need to say is this. If you left here last week from any of the services with the attitude that Pastor Chris doesn't care about me or that Pastor Chris doesn't think that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ or that, that Pastor Chris thinks Cubans are better than Americans, please forgive me. That is not what I was intending to say at all. What I was intending to say is simply this. Wherever we live, we need to put God first in our lives and we need to live with uh, passion and commitment wherever we live. And, and so thank you to all of you for your love for Jesus and your love for me and my family. Thank you to all of you for the ways that you demonstrate that every single day. Um, so far in this series, we've identified our enemy, the devil. And we've said that this devil has some generals, Arcus, Exusius, Cosmocratus, Ponerios. We've said that there are some some pieces of armor that God has given us to protect us. And so far, we've talked about the belt of truth, and truth protects us from the devil's lies. We've talked about the breastplate of righteousness. And remember, the breastplate protects our heart and our lungs, the two most vital organs that we have. If you get rid of your, your heart and your lungs, you're dead. And so righteousness, the, the right relationship we have with God is a very, very important piece of the protection that we have against the enemy. And then last week, Pastor Mark talked about the shoes of the gospel of peace. And, and as we talked about that, it was very, very important for us to understand that, that our faith is active and not just informational. And so today we're going to talk about the shield of faith. And see that little shield? That's the kind of shield that the Roman soldier would have used in hand-to-hand combat. And that shield would have protected him from blows of of a sword or a knife. But he had another shield, and that's actually the shield Paul was talking about. This shield was about two and a half, three feet wide. And it was actually four to six feet tall. And it was made out of wood, and it was covered in leather, and then it was bound in metal. And, and that was to, uh, to, to stave off arrows. And that's what we're going to talk about today, that the shield of faith will stave off the arrows of, of the devil. So uh, actually, one little more impo- little detail. that I, I usually don't get this much into the details, but there's a, a record of a Roman soldier who in one battle, his shield protected him from 200 arrows. 
There were 200 arrows stuck in his shield when the battle was over, and he was still alive. That's a good thing, because the devil has a lot of arrows, and he's shooting all the time. So, since we've been, uh, since we've already heard Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 17, three times each week, and then we've heard it today, uh, verbally, read better than I could ever read it, let's just turn right to verse 16. Ephesians 6, 16, it says this, in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fire arrows of the devil. In addition to all of these, let's hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that our enemy is real and we know that he wants us to believe he's not. We know that you have given us armor so that we can stand firm against him. And today my prayer is very simple, that you would let each of us take up every piece of the armor and that we would live in the power of your spirit so that we will stand firm. And at the end of the battle, we will stand. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the command is simple. It says, in addition to all of these, and the all of these, of course, is the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of the gospel of peace. Uh, We're going to add on the shield. And actually, next week, we'll look at the helmet of salvation, which is the last piece of armor. And then the next week, we're going to close out the series talking about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, we have taken the liberty of talking about one piece of armor every week. But you all know that a Roman soldier wouldn't go out without all of his armor on. And that's one of the things I want us to remember. We need all of the pieces of armor, not just a little bit of armor, not just, not just the, the shield, not just the, you know, the breastplate, but all of the armor needs to be on and we need to have the sword. And as we're talking about um, this shield, I have to tell you one more really, really cool detail. When they were attacking a fort, the, the Romans would line up in a circle, actually, and they would go forward in that way with their shields all facing the whole way around and up like this. And so when the arrows, which were coming from the fortification, you know, up, up above, they would just stick in the shield and they would just be able to go advance right up to, right up to the building. And there's something that's very significant about that. They had to work together. They actually had a name for it. They called it the tortoise, you know, like a turtle shell. And it protected them because they worked together. The pattern worked together and they were safe. And the thing that Paul says is that this armor has to be held up. It says, take up the shield of faith. The shield of faith isn't like, you know, the force field in, uh, you know, Star Trek where it put up, you know, shields up and it's just there. We have to pick it up. We have to hold it up. The shield of faith takes effort. Faith is not something, I mean, God gives us faith, but faith is also something that takes effort to sustain and, and the take-home point for today, for those of you who are new, we have one point we seek to make every week, and here's the point, and it's actually literally a point, um, it says right there, Satan's arrows are no match for the shield of faith. So the point of the arrows of the devil are no match for the shield of faith, and, and what are the arrows of the devil? You know, that's something, and when we start to think about it, we could say that the arrow, the, I think one of the chief arrows of the devil is doubt. And there's depression, you know, and there's, there's difficulty and there's delay in our life. All of those things are arrows of the devil, and those are just the D words. And we could have started with A, and there's anger, and there's anxiety, and there's apathy, and there's Arcus, the demon, and there are all these arrows that are coming at us. And it goes from A to Z, and, and he's just shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting the arrows at us. And so that's why it's so important to have the shield up. Now, the next thing about the... Faith, and this is the most crucial thing about faith. It doesn't matter how much faith we have. It matters what our faith is placed in in our lives. 
Jesus said that if we had faith as a grain of mustard seed, and mustard seed is like so small, if I put it in my hand right here, you wouldn't even be able to see it. Maybe you all could, but probably most of the people couldn't even see it. And he said, if you have that much faith, like a grain of mustard seed in me, you could say to this mountain, be moved to the sea, and it would move. So it's not how much faith we have, but it's the object of our faith. And Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. And as we think about this attack that's going on all around us, the attack of the enemy, and we have the shield of faith up, and the arrows are coming, we need to make sure that our faith is firm and strong in Jesus Christ. Now, last, about a month ago, I woke up at 1.30 in the morning, and I, I don't really do that often, but I woke up at 1.30 in the morning, and I started praying, and, and honestly, I was hoping that I would fall back asleep. But I didn't. After an hour of praying, it was about 2.30 in the morning, I decided I was in bed, and that's how I was... I thought if I prayed in bed, I might fall back to sleep, but I didn't. So I got up, and I got dressed, and I went downstairs to my computer, and God impressed on me the need to write down a list of the, th the, the, the attributes that he had given to me in my life that had made it possible for new life to start and for new life to be sustained for these 14 years. And the very first one that came to my mind and to my heart was a childlike faith in Jesus. A childlike faith in Jesus. I actually believe that Jesus walked on water. I actually believe that Jesus healed sick people, that he cast demons out of people. I actually believe that a little boy came to Jesus with five loaves of bread and two fish, and Jesus prayed and gave thanks to God, and he fed thousands of people with it. I actually believe that Jesus died on the cross to take away my sins and yours. I actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And that he went back to heaven, and he's at the right hand of God the Father, and that he sent the Holy Spirit into our lives. I believe all of that. And I believe we have an enemy who's real, and he wants to take away our soul. And the point of that little conversation is, you might hear that and go, oh, so you never have any doubts? Of course I have doubts. We all have doubts. But when I have doubts, you know what I do? I doubt my doubts and believe in Jesus. I doubt my doubts and I believe in Jesus. You say, it's the 21st century, Chris. You know, wake up and smell the coffee. You really believe Jesus walked on water? Yes, I do. You really believe he was born of a virgin? Yes, I do. Because I really believe he rose from the dead. If he rose from the dead, he can do pretty much anything he wants to do. And because I believe that, it's transformed my life. And not just my life, but hundreds, thousands, actually, of other people's lives. Now, I haven't done it. God has. But as we're talking about faith this morning, the thing that we need to realize is faith is an action. When Pastor Mark was talking last week about the shoes of the gospel of peace, he made a very, very important distinction. And the distinction was that of knowing and believing. And he said, you know, knowing, we need to know less and we need to believe more. And he said, we don't want to be stupid, but what we want to be is we want to take the knowledge and put it into action, which is belief. And the Greek word for belief and the Greek word for faith is the same word. So the shield of faith is the shield of belief. And I said all of those things that I believe, and what I want to know this morning is, do you believe that? And, and I don't mean, do you know that? Have you read about it in the Bible? I mean, do you believe it? I mean, when you wake up in the morning, do you say, if Jesus doesn't show up today, my day's going to be messed up. If Jesus doesn't show up today, what I plan to do can't get done. That's what I believe every day when I wake up. I believe every day when I wake up that God's going to give me something to do that I can't do. It's so much fun. Because he's going to do it. And if I will just have faith, and he gives me the faith. You know, I, I mean, the, the bottom line is, 
If you look around and see everything that's here, have I worked hard? Yes. Have I had certain skills and abilities? Yes. But it's all about God. What's happening here is all about God. The, what's happening in Cuba, it's all about Jesus. It's about God. It's not about us. And, and, and so as we talk about this shield of faith, it's so important that we understand what it does. It overcomes, it extinguishes the arrows of the enemy. And, and make no mistake, the enemy has a purpose in mind, and that is to destroy our lives. The reason they believe what they believe is because their position is, shall we say, difficult. They are poor in worldly things. I haven't, and granted, I've only met hundreds you know, maybe like 2,000. But none of them believe that they're, um, that they're going to be saved by the next election. None of them believe they're going to be saved by their next promotion. None of them believe they're going to win the lottery and then all their problems are going to be gone. What they believe is, if Jesus isn't real, their life's over. And 14 years ago, I got just a tiny glimpse of that. I, I was in a church, and it was a wonderful church. It is a wonderful church. And, and the denomination, not so much, by the way I understood it. And so I had to leave the denomination, which meant I had to leave the church. And so that meant I had no job, and that meant I had no insurance, and that meant I had no future, by the way Americans think. I had a family that loved me. I had a house with a mortgage. And I uh, had faith that God had a better thing. And he did, and he does. And every single day... Thank you. Every single day, every single day when I wake up, I think about what God has done and what he's doing and what he's going to do. And that's a position of faith because it starts off with God. It takes faith to believe in God. And in our lives together, we have seen God do incredible things. Incredible things that, that just can't be done. I mean, John Nuzo, Pastor John Nuzo from Victory Family Church, when he was here to consult with us last year, he said, you realize what you're doing in Saxonburg is impossible to do in Saxonburg. And I know that. I think all of us know that. Whenever I tell people I'm from Saxonburg, and they say, well, how big's your church? And I say, well, you know, we have well, 700, 800, I don't know, about 1,000 people on the list, about six or 700, 500, whatever comes. And they're like, what? Saxonburg? There's only 2,000 people in Saxonburg. That's right. That's right. Because God is doing something that's incredible. And Paul makes it clear that if we don't hold up the armor, we're going to be defeated. But we are, and you are. And that's really something that I want to come back to um, as we finish out this series. You know, I've reflected a very great deal on New Life in this past week. Because I know that some of you left very upset last week. And uh, that was not my intention. And, and I, I have said it before and I've said it, I'll say it right now. I've been in a lot of churches in my life. This is the best church I've ever been part of. And I'm not saying it because I'm the pastor. This is the best church I've ever been part of. And I've been the pastor here for 14 years and I've never been stabbed in the back once. I don't know any pastor that can say that. Because I've been in other churches and getting stabbed in the back is a common occurrence. 
But you know why you can't get stabbed in the back here? Because everybody got their shield up and they're all facing out in a circle. It's a pretty big circle now. And back in August, whenever Emmy told Nancy and I, you know, that she's in this relationship that's ungodly, Pastor Brad and Pastor Mark came to me individually, independently. They didn't know they were, that, that they even had done this. And each of them said exactly the same thing. I have your back. I have your back. Do you know how rare that is in churches for the staff to have each other's back? <laughs> it's uncommon. It's, it's almost unheard of. And you've had my back, and I certainly have yours. I, I will always have yours. And so as we picture this image of the Roman soldier with this big, sword, this big shield, the arrows are coming. And you know, the arrows never stop. And some they come, times they come in barrages. And sometimes it's just one arrow, but it's a very, very big arrow. And it's a very, very, very well trained on the target. And it's released with great velocity. But it doesn't matter how big the arrow is or how many the arrows are if the shield's up. Because the shield of faith will, will stop the arrows of the enemy. So Herman Boone brought his team together. He worked them hard. He got them to come together. Blacks and whites coming together on the same team. And the end result was an undefeated season and a Virginia AAA championship in football. They had a common vision and a common purpose and they worked together. And it was really exciting to see what happened. But that's nothing compared to what's going on here. You know, we are sharing the new life of Jesus Christ, which we've experienced literally with the world, one person at a time. Two weeks ago when I was in Cuba preaching to that 800 people church, at the end I asked if anybody wanted to come forward and trust Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And, and out of that 800 people, one man stepped forward and he committed his life to Jesus Christ. And then on Tuesday night, we were uh, in this little, it was literally a garage, a one-car garage. There were 42 people crammed into it and little benches sitting out to the road and people were there. And Larry Betancourt pastor from uh, Beaver uh, County was preaching and at the end he asked if anybody wanted to trust Jesus as their Savior and Lord and one person committed their life to Jesus that night and I was thinking sharing the new life of Jesus Christ with the world una persona a la vez one person at a time and if one person comes to Jesus this day and one person the next day and one person the next day and one person the next day and that one person leads one person and that person leads one person that's Really cool. That's what God intends. And, and, and you know, the, the, the thing I have to tell you is that little church that met in a garage, which was a rented garage, we bought them their property. Huh. Those four, they know that there are Americans who have answered their prayers. You see, we're answering people's prayers. That's really cool when you get to do that. And so here's the deal. I was not very bright last week when I stood up here and said the things I said. I said mostly true things, but in a very unloving way. And I apologize for that. From the bottom of my heart, I really do. But last night, last night right here, this little six-year-old girl said to me, Pastor Chris, two weeks ago, I got a new life. I got a new life. That meant she trusted Jesus as her Savior and Lord. That's why this church exists. And she said, her mother told me that during the week, last, this past week, uh, uh, the little girl came and said, Mommy, why does the devil want to kill, steal, and destroy? And the mother said, because he's a fallen angel. He rebelled against God, and he hates us because God loves us. And she looked at her mother with a smile and said, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid either. 
But that's, that's what it's all about. You know, here we are and we have our shields up. The shield of faith to protect us, to protect each other. And so the commitment for today, it's a very simple commitment. I will protect myself and others with the shield of faith this week. And it says, and others, because you know what? I can't protect my back. And you can't protect your back because what don't we have in the armor of God? Butt guards. No butt guards in the armor of God. So I need you to protect my back. And I said, I said this to the first service this morning because I was thinking about it after I preached. You know, I have said three or four times that in 14 years I've never been stabbed in the back. So guess where the arrows are coming from this week from the devil? From the back. He's not stupid. Well, he is, but, but that's what's going to happen. So I need you to have my back. We need to have the, the shell, right? And I know you will because you always have. And uh, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you, you've been living your life on your own and, and, and maybe you haven't even thought there is a devil and you maybe haven't thought there's a God, but today you've been listening and you say, wow, you know, maybe there is something that I can't see. Maybe there is something to this whole Jesus thing. And maybe, maybe I have right now for the first time in my life a desire to, to, to experience that. If that's you, then all you, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I, I believe you exist. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose to give me this, this new life, and I want it. And, and ask him to come in. And when you do that, I can guarantee you this in this church. There will be somebody who will already be holding their shield up for you to protect you while you're growing because babies need protection. And as you grow up, you know, you'll be able to carry your own shield and you'll be able to protect somebody else. That's the way it works in a real church. This is a real church. So, last thing I'm going to say this morning is this. If I could have any job in the world, if I could live anywhere on the planet, my job would be to be the pastor of New Life Christian Ministries. Wow, <laughs> great for me, huh? Because that's what I do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much for your presence in our lives. We thank you so much that you are real and that your life is given to any who seek it in the name of Jesus. We thank you so much today that the enemy has already been defeated and that we have the tools that we need, the armor that we need to stand firm. And today I pray, God, for any who just trusted you for the very first time, that, that that person would know your life that's truly life and that you would give us the opportunity to help him or her or them to grow up from, from an infant to a toddler to a child to an adult. And God, for all of us who know you, I pray that we will uh, put our shields up this week, that we will trust you, and that we'll doubt our doubts and that we'll believe in Jesus. I pray today that we will... Um, receive a new outpouring of your Holy Spirit that you will be sufficient as you always are for every need that we have and that we will be able to have an abundance to share with others as we've been doing. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.